Good morning, Redeemer Church. Let me pray, God. Uh, yeah, I just pray for your help. Help us. There's a high vision here for what you've called us to walk in. And so we ask that you meet us there and meet us here. Give us this vision for your church, God, and what you're calling us to, and help our hearts to desire and to trust you, God, because this is a task too much for us. So even right now, God, I pray that your spirit would be here with me, guiding, sorting through my distractions and thoughts and feelings, and just give me clarity, power, give us all ears to hear and soft hearts, God. Amen. So we're continuing in our series called Together, right? We as a church are on mission together. What are we doing? We're looking at some of the rhythms and practices and asking ourselves why, because that's really the important question. We get carried away with all these things, but why are we doing the things we do? So today I want to talk a little bit about groups and other support ministries that we have. So I talked, our first sermon, we talked about Sunday gatherings, and I've talked about general concepts like serving one another, serving the members and serving the guests. And we also do things outside of Sunday morning, and most of you are involved in things like that. You've been in groups for years, or maybe you've just joined one recently, and we do groups. And we also have other support ministries that we say, right, we, we have Sunday morning and we have groups. We have other support ministries that come alongside to help us try to make disciples, right? And these are things like fighter groups, right, which are launching in the fall, global ministry, RISE, right? These things, not everybody's involved in all of these, but they're our approach to try to follow the Lord and make disciples. Uh, we're launching a new ministry in Cedar Falls. I'm excited for this. It's, uh, it's called ACTS Ministry, First Century Faith. And it's uh, Jacob Garnett's going to be leading that, and it's leading people into the streets to preach and pray. And we are really excited about that. Like, we want to just in big, bold faith go out. So that's a support ministry, right? There's, there's other ones. Now, I'm not going to sit here and give long, detailed descriptions of those. They're out there. Go on the website. Get involved. But why? Like, why not just Sunday? Why? I was talking with someone who was describing to me their church experience growing up, and they literally went to church like four times a week. They go to church Sunday morning, go to church, I mean the building, at night, Sunday night, they go like Wednesday night and Thursday night or something like that. It was always go to the building and hear the man preach. And there's a value in that. I love doing it. Believe me, I love doing it. But why do we do other things? Why don't we just do this? Why spread out beyond Sunday? Well, Ephesians chapter 4 has something to say about that. We're going to get into that, about this idea of us mutually equipping one another. But I want to do a little work before I get to chapter 4 of Ephesians. And it's this. Talk about what is a priest. And by the time I'm done, hopefully you know why. What is a priest? Am I a priest? Some people call me a priest. Are you a priest? Well, yes, you are. And so am I, but maybe not the way people think. So let's, I looked up on Merriam-Webster, because that's where I go for all my knowledge, well, that Wikipedia and YouTube, but um, what is a priest? One authorized to perform sacred rites of a religion, especially as a mediatory agent between humans and God, right? So you get this idea that humans are here, we exist, God is infinite, distant, where there's a separation. 
And all humans throughout history have this sense of separation and a sense of guilt. All religions have priests. You go to tribal religions and they have like the shaman, right? What does he do? He intercedes between them and the spirits. Hindus have it. Muslims have it. Catholics have it. It's this priest, even atheists have this. You can't get rid of this sense of I ain't what I ought to be. It was a few years ago on Twitter, this, this went around. Listen to this. This is from Union Seminary. Don't go there. I'm naming names today, like defund Union Seminary. <laughs> Actually abolished. No, okay. This came out from Union Seminary. Today in chapel, we confessed to plants. Now, this is a seminary that has gone off the deep end, totally liberal, right? But they can't get rid of this sense of guilt. So we confessed to plants. Together we held our grief, joy, regret, hope, guilt, and sorrow in prayer, offering them to the beings who sustain us but whose gift we too often fail to honor. That is straight religious language. Like, the being who sustains us and his gift we often fail to honor, and so we have regret and guilt. This is an inescapable human experience, right? Everywhere, universal. And so what do we do? We set up priests, say, help me, God-man. You're the God-man. So, mediate. I have this, make me feel not guilty, atone, perform sacred rites, preach, wash me, dance, sing, whatever, whatever it is. They take all different shapes, but the one thing that's going on is the priest is performing sacred rites to bring you to God. This also shows up in the Bible. There's priests in the Bible, Old Testament. Judaism has all these priests. And what are they? They're mediators between man and God. Is that good? Well, what was their purpose? We're going to get into the book of Hebrews later in the fall. I'm really excited for that. And Hebrews teaches us about this. Why did God establish priests? Oh, where is it? I want to quote it. Well, the way the oh, here it is. They are a shadow of the good things to come. So what we'll learn is that the Old Testament is a shadow of the good things to come. These priests are there to teach us, yes, you need a mediator. Yes, you have guilt. Yes, there needs to be an offering. Yes, you are separated, but man cannot save you. Only the God-man can. The real God-man. I'm not the God-man. Jesus is the God-man. This is the way Paul puts it in 1 Timothy 2. There is one God and one mediator. So priests, no more. Not in the Old Testament fashion. We have a true high priest, the true and better priest, Jesus Christ, who mediates. Because, yes, we have this guilt and this separation, and there needs to be an offering. Jesus is authorized to perform the sacred rites of religion, especially as a mediatory agent between humans and God. Jesus is the priest. And so he's also the lamb, (laughs) and he's the temple. He's everything. Now, Let's go one more step. But you are also priests. 
Peter puts it this way. Speaking of the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So we are priests, right? So who's the priest, Christ or us? What's our role? Are we mediators between God and men? In a sense, we cannot atone for people's sins, but we can proclaim the excellencies of the one who does. That's it. That's your role. You are a royal priesthood. Why, Peter? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light and can do the same for them. We don't atone. We proclaim. But we do mediate because there's a world out there that doesn't know God. And we do. And we stand in that gap and say, come and see him. Come and know him. He transferred me. He can transfer you. We are priests, every one of us. Every one of us. We have opportunity to go out into the world and preach the gospel. Now, we, we're in this Christianized culture. It's kind of changing, but still pretty Christianized. There's this assumption, even under, with people that don't maybe follow Jesus, that, well, if there's a God, he's pretty forgiving. Right? It's kind of, in fact, that's our, it's our right. It's our basic human right. $15 an hour and a forgiving God. That's what we want. Those are... <laughs> Those are my rights. These things are self-evident. Now listen to this, though. I was listening to this podcast, uh, Voice of the Martyrs, and this missionary goes to North Korea. This hardly happens, right? Gets access to North Korea, and he's talking to these North Koreans about the gospel, and they were stunned. We, what did they say? We never thought of a God who would forgive. You think that's our, that's, we might, we think that because we've been told. Because the mediators came. God sent mediators, missionaries all over the world to tell us this is not the default human assumption. The assumption is what? He's angry, we better appease him. Right? Bring sacrifices, pay him off. Mercy? See, we've grown up in this culture, our kids have grown up in this culture and again, just assume it. They've been inoculated almost to the gospel. Yeah, God forgives. I'm a sinner. My wife and I talk about, we should have raised our kids under the law. <laughs> you know, just law till they're like 18 and then be like, I have good news. I'm like, oh. It's like, now they're just like, blah, blah, blah. But we are, so now, now what's the point here? Is that church is beyond Sundays right? It's, it's everywhere. We go everywhere, but certainly beyond Sundays. Our, our church, our strategies break forth beyond Sunday morning. There's other places to minister, other things to do. Other, there's, listen, I'm doing a lot of the talking here, and that's all right, but we need places where you talk because you are God's priesthood. You have the Spirit. You build one another up. It's beyond church. It's beyond me. I'm not God's man. People get weird with me. There's this book called uh, Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis. Incredible book, of course, C.S. Lewis. Here's what you have to know. It's set in like uh, pre, I don't know what you would call it, like Roman times. And um, so there's a king, the people, and there's a priest, right, this pagan priest. And he rolls around with his harem, and he wears a black cloak, and he's got like a crow's mask that drips in blood. And I'm like, that's me. 
That's how people react to me when I run into them at Panera. <laughs> you know, I haven't, I haven't seen them in a while. They're like, oh, hey, I've been meaning to get to church. Uh, I'm just like, I'm just getting a bagel. Like, <laughs> don't put this pressure on me. You're being weird. But they, it's like God walked in the room. That's what happened in their mind. <laughs> Guilt walked in the room. It's like, I, I, I don't know. You call me, don't call me pastor. You know, Jesus says, do not call any man father. Right? And I think what he means by that is like, you have a father. Right? Don't elevate these people. I have a role. I have a, a role which is pastor, but it's not my title. I'm not over you. When people say, hey, pastor, I usually say, well, hey, member. Hi. <laughs> or hello, wolf. How are you? Good to see you. For since we're calling people out. Um, but it's beyond me. It's beyond even the elders and the leaders. It's everyone. And what we see when we dig in to Ephesians 4 is it's the entire body. So let's do that. Ephesians 4, verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So God gave to the church these people. And you can get into a lot of study about Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. I'm going to not get into that right now, but it's basically leaders for the church, okay? He gave them. They're, the, they're a gift. Some people say, Donovan, you think you're God's gift to the church. I am. It says so. I am God's gift to you. But I am. But what for? To what end? He gave these apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers... To do what? To do the ministry? Kind of. What is their ministry? To equip the saints. Who's that? The priests. For what? The work of the ministry. Right? Because it's not one man. It's not one priest. It's not one pagan uh, shaman. It's not one person who has access. We all have access. And we all have a ministry. And we have a job. And we are released into the world to be mediators. And our job is to facilitate that. To help you grow in that. If you don't, I have failed. My job is not to get you to come here and listen to me only. It's part of it. But to equip you, to mobilize you, to create structures where you can lead, you can serve, you can talk, you can pray, you can exert, exhort, you can encourage, you can discover gifts, you can evangelize. You are called to the work of the ministry. You are a priest. You're a priest. You should tell people that when they say, hey, what do you do? I'm a priest. Oh, that's weird. Let me tell you. Let me tell you why. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What is that? The building up of the body of Christ. That's what, again, he's kind of saying it again. We're to equip the saints to build up the body of Christ, right? And what's the goal? <laughs> I'm going to... Cruise over verse 13 and come back to it. But here's what he says. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow, that's a, a lofty goal. You know, what's your church vision? Well, we want to plant two churches. Uh, you know, we want to launch four small groups this year. Yeah, listen to this. Here's your goal. <laughs> attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Huh. All right, like I said, we're going to come back to that. And as we do, and we grow in that fullness, 
Verse 14, the result is resilience. We are no longer tossed to and fro because there are so many winds of doctrine out there. I, I was going to make a list. I just got, I was like, no, I can't. I'm going to get angry. There's just so many winds of doctrine out there, right? Falsehood, false religion, false hopes, false ideologies that all run contrary to the gospel. Pretty much any political theory you can name contains false doctrine. And we need to be resilient, not tossed to and fro by current events and blogs and podcasts. Like, do you know who you are? I was talking to my son this week about the, what does it mean to be a man? And I would say a woman too. It is to be firmly rooted in God, to know who we are, not just tossed to and fro like a leaf. They asked him, are you a man or a leaf? He's a little leafy. So am I. So what am I doing? I'm discipling him. And that's what we're to do for one another. So that we're not tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, even the ones that we make up in our own heads. Right? Do you know there's wind of doctrine in your head about who God is, and maybe he doesn't care, and maybe he's unconcerned, and he doesn't answer prayer, he's not paying attention to you, you've been... That's a wind of doctrine that's a lie. And our job is to solidify one another in the truth. One another, not just me. We're not to be carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, by speaking the truth in love, we are to grow. So speaking. There's good deeds to be done, and we should do them. But Christianity is distinctively a word religion. Why? Because the word... God speaks, and he gives shape, right, to the things we do. The reality, everything is based in words we must speak. You may have heard this quote, you know, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. That's a wind of doctrine. Like, get out of here. Preach the gospel, use, use words, they're necessary, right? No one is going to get saved because you clean their gutters. But they might if you clean their gutters and tell them Jesus cleaned your gutters and wants to clean theirs, right? It has to have a message. We speak. We must speak words of life. Get in the words <laughs> in our heart and mind and then speak them forth to one another. And it's not useless. It's the most useful thing. And as we do that, we grow into him. And now he's driving home the point that we're all involved in this work, from whom we grow every way into him who's the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Build yourselves up, every member doing ministry, everyone a priest. You are a priest. So, let's talk about this, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, that's quite the grand vision. Like, that's our goal. That's our goal as a church. <laughs> Why? Because that's God's goal, and it's good. Man, don't you want to be there? Let's talk about Christ. Let's talk about the fullness of Christ. I want to talk about high Christology and low Christology. Here's what that means. When you study Jesus, there's this idea of the, there's this you're transcendent, Right? The Logos, the second person of the Trinity, that's high Christology. And then there's low Christology, the Son of Man. 
He walked on earth. And they're both true, and together they form this glory. So let's go high first. Hebrews 1. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He says, when you behold me, you behold God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is God. The exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Plants don't sustain us. Christ sustains us and plants. This is who he is. Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God. God's invisible. We can't see him. Behold the Christ. He is the firstborn of all creation. By him were all things created in heaven and on earth. So stars, moons, galaxies, nebula, snails. Jesus made snails. Visible and invisible. And listen to this. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, that means Angelic powers, specifically fallen ones, demons. Jesus made demons. Jesus owns demons. This is how high our Christology is. He rules them. Who is this that even the demons obey him? The only reason they disobey is because he's letting them. When he says stop, they stop. There is no argument. This is not a wrestling match. I was listening to a pastor this week preaching. He literally said, wrestle. He's a grown man. wrestle we do not wrestle with flesh and blood you know i literally okay wrestle john 1 in the beginning was the word the logos the truth the wisdom the voice the knowledge and that word was with god son with the father and that word was god father son and holy spirit one god three persons this is a high christology he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. You see this creation theme. And without him was not anything that was made. Man, that's a high Christology. And Paul says we're to attain the fullness of the measure of Christ. Like, what does that mean? I'm going to become the creator? No. But I am seated with him. You rule with him. God wants you to know that, and he wants you to live that way in this world united with the high Christ, seated with him. This is back in Ephesians 1. He seated us with him in the heavenly places. That's part of our ministry, to encourage one another toward that high life, to rest there, to operate from there, right? Not to be tossed to and fro, but to be seated with Christ, the high Christ, the King and Lord of the universe, and operate from there. Wow, what a vision. <laughs> Let's talk about low Christology. Because his glory is that, in spite of him being so high, he comes so low. So we're to imitate that, right? We're not to be seated with Christ. I'm like, oh, I'm seated with Christ. So, yes, what did Christ do? He enters the suffering of the world. He serves, right? John 1, that word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld glory, full of grace and truth. And from grace upon grace we received from him, right? He, grace just shot out of him. 
He ate and drank with sinners. He wept for Jerusalem and Lazarus. He touched lepers. He washed feet, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. Listen to this. Philippians 2. This brings them together, the high and the low. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the fullness of Christ that we are to approximate. Right before Paul says that, he says this to the church, have this mind among yourselves. Which mind? That though he existed, though he is in the form of God, he did not count that equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You do that too. That's the fullness of Christ. Yeah, you're seated with Christ. You're seated in the heavenly places, but don't consider that a thing to be grasped. Empty yourself. Humble yourself. This is quite the vision. Quite the vision. Is it too much? <laughs> is it a dream? I was talking with a, a new member recently, and he said, uh, what, do you, what does Redeemer ask of members? And I gave the, uh, you know, like attend, give, serve, invite. It's like, here's what I should have done. I should have put on my crow mask. <laughs> here's what I'm asking you to do. But seriously, Build one another up until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're asking you to do. You up for it? It seemed like a lot, but it is. It's a dream. Isn't it a dream? Are we dreamers? Yeah, isn't that why we're here? Isn't that why we're here? I was, there was a, a man... Early on in, in, in Redeemer, I was kind of getting to know him, starting to maybe train him as to be a pastor. And uh, he said something very concerning to me. As I was talking about this, the dream and the affections and love and being caught up in glory, and he was like, isn't it just a bit much? Can we just tell people what to do and just live our lives? And I was like, ugh, you're not going to be an elder here, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Because this too, is it just exhausting? But it really is the question. Are we going to lean into the glories of God or are we just going to tap out and go to Starbucks? You can do both, right? But I'm just saying. We're made to dream, to lean into glories. I guess North Korea is a theme this week. I was listening to the story of a girl named Yeonmi Park. You may have heard of her. She escaped North Korea. Crazy. <laughs> Listen to her story. Um, she's very educated now. She's very curious, very hungry for knowledge. She's like, she went from living in a burrow, basically, not even knowing, like, what is a, a phone? What? To now she's highly educated, articulate. But immediately, her response to the world was not like that. She, she started encountering people and learning things and seeing that people had to plan their lives. And she said, part of me wanted to go back to North Korea because thinking was hard. How do these people keep thinking all day long? Because when you live in North Korea, you don't have to think. You just wake up and look for grasshoppers to eat. 
and then you go to bed. You don't have to think. So it's a lot. But you know what she said? I'm not going back to North Korea. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, life is a lot. The vision is a lot. The full measure of Christ, oh my gosh. Yes, but what else is there? Where else shall we go? He has the words of eternal life. I'm not going back to Egypt. This is it. We believe in fairy tales. I'm calling us into fairy tales. Now, there's different types of fairy tales. I was learning this this week. I'm also a very curious person. I, I dabble in all kinds of things. So just enough to be dangerous. There's a difference between ancient fairy tales and modern fairy tales. Ancient fairy tales are stories of good things happening to bad people. Not like modern fairy tales. Think of modern fairy tales, Cinderella. Good things happen to her. Why? Because she's good. That's no fairy tale. That's not a fairy tale. That's just <laughs> this is regular life. Little Mermaid. She did well in the end. Why? She's good. Ursula, she's bad. Bad things happen to her. That's not a fairy tale. Fairy tales are ancient fairy tales that were told for thousands of years. The stories that survived are stories in which heroes did not deserve their fate. Audiences wanted to believe that life could suddenly go from bad to good. Not just that, but that life wasn't, that reward wasn't because of your works. For example, Adam and Tina, a young girl, part of a starving family. She's sent to the market with the last of the money. What does she do? Instead of buying food, she buys a doll. Fool. She comes home and everyone's upset. Her, daughter, her sister's, you ruined the family. We're all going to starve and die. Turns out, the doll turns out to be magic and spits out money. That's a fairy tale. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. This is a hot, yeah. Guess what? Jesus spits out money. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but the true money, the true wealth. You have squandered your wealth, right? We are not what we ought to be. We are from the starving family. We don't deserve this. We have squandered what he has given us. <laughs> Good thing he spits out wealth, right? That's a fairy tale. They do studies, and kids prefer the ancient fairy tales to the modern ones. Jesus says you must become like children to enter the kingdom of heaven. Yes. So, let's aim for that. You're not up for it. We're just not that bright. You know, we're fine. We have gifts and all that. But like, we're not, I'm not up for that. <laughs> but with God, I am. I was talking to uh, our group. We were in our group. This past week, and we're talking about calling men into leadership to step up and lead the church, lead the family in a Christ-like fashion. And the question was brought up, well, what if men are incompetent? Which they are. No, that's a good question. That's what we're talking about. So I pose the question, okay, so David defeated Goliath. Why? Was it because David was more competent warrior? And one of the Rise girls, 14 years old, said, God's more competent than David. That's the point of the story. So this vision, right, to call that we ought to be priests and ministering to one another until we achieve the full measure of the stature of Christ, like, God is competent. God is competent. 
He meets us. He gives us the Spirit. He gives us gifts. He guides us. He forgives us. He trains us. He empowers us. We look to Him. So I do want to call, I want to speak specifically to men and women. All right, that's everyone. <laughs> like, but one at a time. Men, you're called to lead in this. You're called to lead. And some of you are confident. You're like, yeah, I'll lead. Get over yourself. It's God. And some of you are timid. Well, I don't know. How to... Get over yourself. It's the opposite error, the same, same coin. Think it's about you. Well, I'm not really made that way. All right, but he is. He is. He's not saying you're competent. He's saying he is. He's saying, trust me, stand in the gap. Lead, initiate flourishing. Stand Christ-like, not toxic masculinity, Christ-like masculinity, right? And lead, initiate. But I want to also tell the women, we need you. And I've told you this, and I'm going to tell you again. The way we talk about this at Redeemer is men initiate flourishing. That's the flourishing, that we would grow into the fullness of the measure of Christ. And men, start. And women, help maximize this. Oh, we need your gifts. We need your wisdom. We need your participation. We need, we need you. Think of this. Think of the creation. God made the heavens and the earth, stars, everything, right? The lights to guide and trees and the ocean, all the animals, creeping and crawling things and the fish and the birds, right? And this incredible ecosystem that he sustains. And then he made man. Wow, what a creature, right? Thinking, speaking, right? To have dominion, what a being. You are a magnificent creature, Glenn. You really are. Mostly creature, but part magnificent, no. Um, think of that. And, and it's in, and it, incredible. I was talking to my wife about this the other day. And then I, here's how I think through it. He says, you ain't seen nothing yet. And he brought a woman to Adam. It's the last thing he made. Wow. So I say that to you, women, so you know how I feel because I will call the men to lead. And they need you. And I think you're better than them. <laughs> I think you're better than them. So let's build one another up, all right? That's it. Other stuff in here that's not good, so. <laughs> Let me invite the response team up, and we're going to praise God for His work, redeeming us, giving us a, an incredible opportunity, a mission. Some of you have been involved in this equipping one another work for years. I encourage you to endure, to endure. I learned about these African hunters. They hunt gazelle and things like that with spears. Gazelle are fast. And what do they do? They pace themselves and run after these gazelle. The gazelle will run. Eventually, they'll tire themselves out and just fall on the ground. And the guy will just, you know, he's been running for 18 hours. And he finally walks up and just spears it, takes it home, and carries it 30 miles back home. <laughs> but the point is this, like endurance. 
right? I don't want to get you all excited. You're like, ah, I'm going to equip the saints. Like, let's equip the saints, right? The long haul. Some of you don't know what that looks like and just been kind of on the sidelines. I just, I just watch. God has a ministry, a ministry for you. You have gifts. You are a priest. You are part of this. It doesn't mean you have to be a pastor or a leader, but it means you're a member. You're a part of the body, and you want to know how God has made you and how He has gifted you to play that role. So we'd love to help you discover that if that's where you are. So, yeah, we're going to sing praises to Him. <clears throat> it's an opportunity to give as well, support this mission. You can give through text. Um, it's the easiest way to do that. And if you feel like God has revealed something to you today as you've been listening, if God has spoken to you about this church, something to build up the body today, we ask that you would submit that to Glenn here in Cedar, uh, Cedar Rapids. And in Cedar Falls, you would submit it to the MC. And we'll discern if that's God's word for the church today. Um, and we're going to take communion, right? Communion is where we remember, right, that... Though he existed in the form of God, he didn't grasp that, but he came, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of his death and resurrection and his victory, out of that, Paul's preaching on that in Ephesians 4, and he goes, because of that, now he gave gifts to the church, right? These gifts that he gives the church are because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So this is where we come and remember. The bread is his body broken for us. The cup is his blood poured out for us. And he tells us to come and do this in remembrance. So we come. And we remember, God, this doesn't save us. You save us. But thank you for the opportunity to come and taste and eat and remember. So I pray that your spirit would be here, stirring within us, sparking new ideas for mission and ministry and equipping. And God, that we would love one another and serve one another well. In Jesus' name, amen.